So let's go into the Word of God, and then I'm going to pray for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It is a section on the Sermon on the Mount. And if anyone ever says that the Sermon on the Mount is their favorite uh, section of Scripture, I, I always pause because Jesus is so challenging and so convicting on the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to say, did you really read all of the Sermon on the Mount? But uh, here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees and the disciples about the kingdom of God. And he's trying to teach them about the law and the prophets and how it relates to the message that Jesus wants to proclaim with the kingdom of God. So Matthew 5, 27 says this. It says, you have heard that it was said. So this is what the law says, or this is how people interpret the law. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if that is not tough enough, here's what Jesus also says. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body Go in to hell. Let's pray and ask that God will speak to us this morning. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you for this series. And I pray, dear Lord, as we speak this morning, I pray that the truth of God and the grace of God will work simultaneously in our hearts and our minds. And where there needs to be conviction, I pray that there will be conviction. Where there needs to be transformation, I pray there will be transformation. Where there needs to be hope and forgiveness, I pray that there will be hope and forgiveness. And so we look forward to meditating upon these words this morning. So may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock and you are our Redeemer. Amen. Sexual sin will make a liar out of most of us. Most of us, when it comes to sexual sin over other sins, live with a secret that we will go to our grave with and hope that no one ever, ever finds out about. Often when I officiate a wedding, sometimes in my, my sort of um, concerned way, I wonder when a couple's up here, what secrets are they bringing with them? Have they been honest and open? Have they come to the altar together to, to enter into a covenant of marriage? And have they been honest and open with each other? And is it sort of like the first wedding between Adam and Eve where they were both naked, they were both vulnerable, and they felt no shame? I want to talk about three truths and then I want us to look specifically at what Jesus had to say. 
And I believe this morning that though we in the church don't want to talk about these type of topics, the church needs to be the, the safest place in all of our world to explore what Jesus has to say, not just about sex, but about anger, about um, guilt and shame and all these emotions that are tied to who we are as men and women. And most importantly, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So here's the first truth we need to understand this morning. And this is essential to understanding what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. God's kingdom is rooted in love. Everything that Jesus taught about the kingdom is based upon love. God's love for us and our love for one another. The culture or the world we live in today, it's rooted in lust. It's rooted in what, um, sometimes it's not even a sexual lust, what can I get from the other person? How can the other person benefit me? How can I use the other person for my pleasure or for my will or for my desires or so that I will feel good? And Jesus is trying to set the stage that the kingdom of God is about love. And everything he speaks in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that is so convicting and so challenging reflects the nature of God's love. Uh, last week we looked at the prodigal son and the heavenly father and the deep love that the, the father has for the son which represents God's love for us even when we rebel, even when we're ugly and messy and spiritually dirty, when we live our lives far away from God. And we say, God, we don't want you in our lives anymore. God's love comes shining through. And what Jesus tried to focus on when he left this earth, he says, Love one another just as I have loved you. So whenever it comes to issues like sexuality or our finances or any type of issue, we need to look at it through the grid of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is rooted in love. Our culture is rooted in lust. And as we speak about the culture and the way we as Christians have embraced the culture and have impacted the culture... Let me just ask a question. What in our culture promotes purity and oneness that we see in marriage, promotes love? It is the entertainment world, it is the school system, it is, it is our work environment. Where, where do you see the promotion of purity in our culture? That's why we as the church, and this is why we need to understand scripture and we need to understand the kingdom of God. But what ends up happening, we entertain ourselves. We entertain ourselves with music and media and all this that promotes sexual immorality. And that we wonder what happens to this husband or to this wife or to this teenager when something is out of bounds and needs to be kept a secret. Here's what all of us need to understand this morning. 
lust is a real temptation for everyone. And I could this morning just talk to you about my personal experiences in my own life, but I could talk to you about personal experiences and conversations I had with others. You know, when I, I went off to Taylor University and they had Spiritual Renewal Week, and there were two people that I think impacted my life when I was in college, and they challenged me in my faith. Two of those individuals, after they had done the Spiritual Renewal Week, um, two of them had fallen to sexual temptation. When I first got into ministry, I had an elder, and I maybe shared this before. When I first got into ministry, um, I had an elder, and he was in his 80s. And he pulled me aside after I went through the qualifications of what it means to be an elder. And he said, he said Mark, those qualifications don't matter anymore. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, again, a green behind the ears, and I was all excited about ministry. These qualifications don't work anymore. And he said, yeah, he says, you know, I've been addicted to pornography my whole life. And then he said, again, this whole secret thing, and he says, if you tell anyone, I'm going to deny it and say you're lying about me. And he was in his 80s, and again, I was young. I was like, is that still an issue when you're in their 80s? But as I've been involved with ministry, I've started to realize that a lot of times age is not a requirement. And the more I got involved in ministry, I used to think this was a male problem. But no, it's also a female problem. Lust is a temptation for all of us. And no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, I know pastors who get up. And right before they get up, they are tempted in their minds sexually. Or after they give a message by, out of the word of God, they're tempted sexually. One guy from Campus Crusade, he said that Campus Crusade is a ministry. Sometimes it's called crew now. And he's partnered with them because his realization and what statistics are telling him is 90% of Christian men who go off to college struggle with lust and temptation. Today, a lot of guys know they can't say things about how a, a, a girl looks. And what is interesting is in our culture today, girls feel a freedom to say that guy looks hot. That, that guy looks attractive. Or, wow, I, I wish I could have a relationship with that guy and what I came to realize is that there's a group out there called SA sort of like Alcoholics Anonymous this is you know people that struggle with sex addictions and what I came to realize probably about 10 years ago I, in my church there were two ladies who were in SA groups so this temptation is real for all of us male and female young and old and I would encourage you, if you have a young person in your life, allow them to listen to this message because they need to hear the truth about purity. Or if you know someone who's not here, encourage them to listen. Again, not because I'm speaking, but hopefully they can hear clearly what Jesus has to say to us this morning. Lust is a real temptation for everyone. 
And here's what we need to know about Jesus, and then we're going to jump into it. Jesus offers a better way for everyone. Over and over again, I say following Jesus will make you better at life and make your life better. Jesus has not given us something that is impossible to do. Jesus is showing us a better way. A better way to live in this culture that we live in is not to be tempted to lust, but to find as believers in Christ Jesus to practice self-control, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives in such a way that we can have our hearts guarded. So Jesus offers us a better way. And we're going to point that out in a little bit in this text. But two times Jesus says, it is better. It is better. He's trying to show us what is better for us if we listen to his words. So Jesus offers us a better way. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to answer three questions. The first one, what is adultery? The second one, what is lust? And the third, is there hope for me? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to explore these questions in a way that I think will make sense, hopefully, to you. And you will understand why Jesus was so harsh in his words. So here's the first question. What is adultery? You see, we live in a world today that doesn't understand what adultery is. In fact, we in the church world, we don't like even, we don't even feel comfortable mentioning the word adultery. We say if somebody has committed adultery, what? They're having an affair. They're, They're having an emotional affair or they're having some type of affair. They're having a marital affair. We do not feel comfortable with the word adultery, but we were not the first ones. When Jesus spoke on adultery, the Jewish leaders didn't understand what adultery was either. They limited it. They made it a narrow definition. And so we are in good company today when we don't really know or feel comfortable about adultery. But hopefully we will understand in just a second. Here's the way Jewish law attempted to define adultery. They limited it. They made it narrow. So when they read the Ten Commandments and they read the regulations with the Ten Commandments, they just said, okay, you cannot commit adultery. That is referring to married couples also. So they limited to marriage, but get this, they even limited even more. They not only limited it to marriage, they limited it to women only. And all the women should be saying right now, that's not... It was not fair. If you read the Gospels, you will notice that the only time someone is caught in adultery, guess who it is? It's a woman. And so the Jewish men had a way of living their lives so that 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 doesn't apply to me. It only applies to women. And so Jesus is going to make a statement that's going to be pretty radical to help us understand that this just doesn't apply to women. Adultery is much more than what we think it is. You may say to yourself, well, those Jewish people, they were awful in the way that they limited it. But our culture does today. We limit 
what adultery is. We limit what sexual purity actually is when basically everything is open. Everything is really, even in the Christian world, you're, you're, you can have premarital sex, you can live with somebody, you can do whatever you want. You can even commit adultery if you love that person or you hope to love that person or you think that it's going to make you feel better or you're caught in a miserable marriage and it's the way out. That's the way our culture says you, you, you sort of deserve that. We also in our culture, it's so interesting, we, we limit it to, so if we want to say somebody is an adulterer and we see this sometimes in the political world or the climate we live in. Um, so if, if, for example, if we're in favor of Trump, we're going to talk about all the sins of Clinton. But if we're in favor of Clinton, we're going to talk about all the sins of Trump. It, it works also in our culture this way. If you, even in your family you have a son-in-law or daughter-in-law that you don't like and a son and daughter-in-law that you do like, and you're going to tend maybe to overlook the sins of one of them. That is limiting the scope. And Jesus has high standards for what it means for the kingdom of God. Because again, the kingdom of God is built upon love. It is not built upon lust. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is broadening the definition. Jesus is taking what they limited. And now he is saying something totally uh, you know, more gracious and more truthful. He applies it to sexual purity in all accounts. Because adultery is not just, it's not just about breaking one commandment. Literally, adultery breaks multiple commandments. And Jesus is implying this. And they would have understood that because basically Jesus is saying, when you, you commit adultery and when you Commit adultery, you're really like stealing. You're stealing something that doesn't belong to you. When you have premarital sex with somebody, you're stealing something that doesn't actually belong to you. When you cohabitate with somebody, you're stealing something that doesn't really belong to you. Or you're coveting. And Jesus is saying, this is about purity. We already have looked at it over the past few weeks, and I would encourage you to go back. Jesus had a plan. He created them male and female, and he was going to bring them together, and they would leave their mom and dad, and they would come together, and they would be glued together, and they would become one flesh. See, God created sex, and God said it is good. And again, in the church world, we sometimes have turned this around and we don't even want to talk about it. It's taboo. But it was created by God and it is good. And we need to let our children know that. I see so many kids go away and they, they're so confused and they just think, oh, sex is taboo. Nobody talks about it. Don't talk. Don't tell. Don't touch. Don't whatever. You know, we're not even going to talk about it. And it's taboo. And the next thing we know, there is problems. But sex was created by God and it was good, but he says that there are boundaries to it. And those boundaries are marriage. Sex was designed by God for a husband and a wife to enjoy each other. 
And what Jesus is saying here when he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying it's always been about sexual purity. It's not even about the action anymore. It's about what's in your heart. And it's about purity because the kingdom of God is about love. It is not. It is not about lust. What Jesus also does here is he says that it applies to men and women. So you read this sometimes and you say, we, we, we read it and we like, huh, he's saying if a man. Jesus is emphasizing the man. He's saying, hey men, hey Jewish leaders, you are guilty of breaking this commandment as well. Some of you actually have broken it. You ever read in the Old Testament and you wonder, what's going on with Abraham? What's going on with David? What's going on with Solomon and all these things? And they're God's right-hand man, so to speak, yet they got all these wives and it's just very weird and strange. It's not because God was approving of that. Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, but I'm telling you the truth from the beginning is God intended for there to be sexual purity. And it starts with the man. It starts with a man taking responsibility and elevating his wife. It starts with a man protecting a woman who has been created in the image of God and is full of dignity. It starts and ends there. And so what Jesus is saying, this is about sexual purity and it applies to both men and women. And if you just sit back and you read this and you read what Jesus has to say about anger and divorce and oaths and retaliation and love your enemies, you will understand that Jesus is saying when you break one part of the law, you're breaking it all. Because you're not really putting God first and worshiping him alone. You are worshiping yourself and you're making yourself out to be God. So Jesus raises the bar on sexual purity, and he says this applies both equally to men and to women. I haven't worked with youth for a while, but um, I know everybody struggles with this question. But what is Jesus actually saying? What is lust? What exactly did Jesus have in mind? If a beautiful person comes by you, um, male or female, and you say, wow, or you say, wow, they look pretty good. Or if you compliment somebody, even today you compliment somebody and say, you look very nice. You look beautiful. Is that lust? I think we need to understand what this word is all about, and I'm going to explain it in a second. But, uh, you know, maybe you've heard other people talk on this, and they say, it's not, it's not the first look, it's the second look. And that is so true. I always loved Martin Luther, growing up Lutheran, and uh, I always loved Martin Luther quotes, but uh, Martin Luther said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from making a nest in your hair. And that is so true when it comes to lust. It matters how you look at what Jesus is saying here this morning. So here's what 
Um, here's what we need to see here. I want to explain this to you. And if the first part looks uh, Greek to you, it is Greek. And I think it's important for you to understand the words that Jesus used. So why, why I put it this way is not so you can say, oh, I know Greek, okay? What I want you to see what Jesus is doing. He puts this word before he uses the word for lust. And in the Greek, it's prose, sort of like, just think prose, sort of like how it looks there. And what this word is, it's a preposition. And it's a word that sort of implies purpose, intent, direction. And the reason this is so important is because the word for desire up there, epithumia, um, that word up there is a positive or negative word. It all depends on the context. So Jesus, it was referred to Jesus when he was getting ready for the Last Supper, and Jesus said he had desired, he had a passion or a plan or a purpose to eat with the disciples one last time. It, it is used of somebody who wants to be an elder or an overseer. It says if anyone desires now, it would look weird if we translated it lust. Jesus lusted to have the final dinner, or Jesus or someone lusts to be an elder and overseer. See, nothing is wrong with the word desire. It has to do with its intent. And that's why I love the way the translation I'm reading from this morning, the ESV, translates it. It says with lustful intent. In fact, Many scholars, when they first, especially early on, early scholars, when they first read Jesus and they were looking at the Greek and trying to figure it out, they actually interpreted what Jesus was saying was, lust was when you go after a woman in such a way that you get her to lust after you, to break the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. It has to deal, it deals with intent. It deals with purpose. It deals with what your focus is. And that's why some people say it's not the first glance. It's the second glance. The other thing you need to see, what Jesus is trying to teach us here this morning he uses a word for sin. It's not the typical word for sin, but it is a word that you, Jesus uses for sin, but it's not what we are known to, to understand sin. It's the word scandal or to scandalize. What Jesus is saying, when we allow our eyes to wander and go in places they should not go, a scandal is about ready to break. This is scandalous to not honor and respect your marriage, and it is scandalous to not honor and respect the dignity of another human being. This is, this is very powerful because we need to understand also the word scandal means to, to stumble, to fall, uh, to trip, uh, to, to actually collapse yourself on the ground. That, that's a scandal, total collapse. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying something about our sexual purity. And Jesus is saying that sexual purity is so important because it affects our relationship with God. You see, you cannot be involved in sexual immorality or impure actions and have a close relationship with God. It is impossible. 
it is absolutely impossible. And when I read statistics that, that pastors, up to maybe 50 or 60% of pastors struggle with pornography, I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not that I'm judging them because we all have our issues, whether it's anger or greed or jealousy or pride. But, but I'm trying to wrap my mind around this and saying, everything is about spiritual warfare. And it is such a heavy responsibility. And that, that's probably why a lot of pastors are drawn to this. They want an escape. They want an escape out. But it's scandalous. It, it causes a stumbling. But what Jesus is getting to is that lust is all about the heart. Lust is an issue of your heart. And we're going to see it here in his explanation to poke out your eye and to tear out your eye and throw it away and cut off your hand. Jesus is saying, you know, self-mutilation, it's not going to solve the problem. What's going to solve the problem is your heart. It's a heart issue. And that's why some, and I didn't put it up here, um, some define lust is when you objectify someone. Lust is seeing a male or a female as an object, not as a person. And again, this goes back to what I said out of the get-go. The kingdom of God is about love. People love people when they see people as people. You lust, you see a person as an object that you use for your pleasure. That's where the whole term sex object came from. It's taking the person and dehumanizing them in such a way that they just see the person as a body. And this is so important and we need more than ever because our kids are exposed on, on the cell phones and TV and media. We as adults, we need to get this. And we need to understand it so that we can protect the next generation so that they do not stumble, they do not fall, and they can have healthy relationships with one another. I want to turn to one other passage. And so if you have your Bible, I want to turn to Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. Since Jesus mentions the heart, you need to understand that the way we deal with this issue is by guarding our heart. And there are so many different translations of Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. My, my translation says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Protect your heart. Make it your number one priority. So it's a, it's a way to look at it. So... We need to guard our hearts. And again, above all else, it's your number one priority in life is to guard your heart. And I've mentioned this over and again. I pray for my kids' hearts because that's where the issue is at. Rebellion comes out of the heart. It doesn't mean I have perfect kids, but that's why I know that Jesus is saying it's about the heart. And we need to pray for their hearts. Notice what it says. Keep your heart with all vigilance in 423. For from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. So that, that's where joking around about certain matters that are off limits. We can't do that. Let your eyes look directly forward. It's saying keep focused on what is right. And your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. 
then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right. Do not swerve to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Here's the three truths we need to know. This is how you guard your heart. You need to be careful with what you see. That's why Jesus says, tear out your eye. And the reason it's the right eye, because it's the most important. It was considered the most valuable. The most important thing we can do to live a life under self-control is be careful what we see. The movies we go to. The other day we went to Toy Story 4, and I was just so thankful that all of the previews were animation. I, I, I actually, I, I go to movies a couple times, two, three, four times a year, but it's hard to sit through the previews. It, it, it just breaks my heart. You know, I can't even watch Sunday, football on Sunday after church because I got all the commercials. So we're, we're in a family that is very intentional Sometimes not with the football games, but we're intentional about recording on the DVR so that we can fast forward. It even shows or channels that I think are safe. Now, I got a direct TV package, and it's just it's horrible because the, the, what they, they do in, in direct TV is they put ads on good channels that promote a bunch of immoral stuff. We need to be careful with what we see, what we're looking at. Some of you, you just have to get that stuff out of the house. You've got to warn your kids, they need to be careful with what you see. Some have said that this lust and this lust over pornography is stronger than a cocaine addiction. And we really, really, really need to rethink this with how we, we treat the cell phone and the computers and the laptops and all that stuff, we need to be very careful. We need to be careful who you touch. We're, we're all familiar with the Billy Graham rule, and um, I don't, maybe you're not familiar with the Billy Graham rule. It's been in the news lately. You know, He never went with a woman um, out to eat, or he never rode alone with her in a car, never had a woman in his office all alone, and all of these things. And and there's some truth that that isn't practical today. And in some ways, I got a niece who, who looks at that as like, oh, that's sort of a sexist type of a rule. I get that. But we need to be careful who we touch. That, that's what the hands come in mind. We need to be careful who we hug, who, who we hold hands with. All these things are very important. We need to be careful who we touch. And we need to be careful where you go. Back in the day, when I, when I deal with guys that struggle, and they would go to Blockbuster, you know, back in the day when there was Blockbusters, or I guess we got Family Video, which is a wrong name, because I haven't been in a Family Video for years, but the last time I was in a Family Video, it was anything but family friendly. We need to be careful where we go. I would tell them, don't go there. Oh, I already know what movie I'm picking out. Baloney. As soon as you walk, you don't even have to walk into the store. The, the signs, the images are taking you in a different direction. You need to be careful what you see. You need to be careful who you touch. And you need to be careful where you go. Here's, as it relates to that Billy Graham rule, some people say, I, I can't do that. It's not practical. You know, I'm single or I work all my my bosses are male or whatever, or my boss is a female, and sometimes we have to go places. I get that. 
But you need to set guardrails. That's why it's called guarding your heart. You need to set guardrails on difficult and dangerous people and situations. You need to make sure you protect. You may say, Mark, what's a difficult and dangerous situation? You know what it is already. You already know what it is. Put that guardrail there and protect yourself. Use safe eyes. Use covenant eyes. Use all these things that you can. Use the Disney circle. Protect, protect, protect. And here's the last question that I think is the most important. Is there hope? Here's what you need to know. Jesus in the kingdom of God, he raised the bar. In fact, if you look at Matthew 5, 48, he just basically, he's clear as can be. You need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's what the kingdom is. Now there's idiots like me who joke around that I'm perfect, which I know I'm not. But we're not perfect. None of us is perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. So is there hope? Yes, there hope is in Jesus Christ. Anybody who struggles with this issue, you need to understand that your hope is not in yourself and your hope is not in your plan to be pure. Your hope is in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. And what Jesus wanted all of us to realize in this passage in the Sermon on the Mountain is that we all fall short of the glory of God. We can't do it on our own. And just like the rich young ruler who was challenged and said, oh, I've kept all the commandments, I'm perfect. Jesus says, well, if you're so perfect, sell everything you you have and go and give it to the poor. Go love people. Ah, He walked away. Why? Because he wasn't willing to admit that he needed Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And specifically, again, I started off with the sexual sins will make a liar out of us. It will keep secrets. Just as there's hope for people who have greed, jealousy, anger, pride, every sin imaginable, there is hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. You say, Mark, I got Jesus, but is there still hope? Yes, if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we have a choice every morning, Every day, every minute of the day, are you going to walk according to the flesh? Are you going to walk according to the spirit? And Paul tells us we need to keep in touch with the spirit. We need to, to walk in step with the spirit. We need to walk according to the spirit. And what, sometimes we think this is the fruits of the spirit. This isn't the fruits of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's a package deal. Because this is how the Spirit works in our lives. This is why there's hope. The Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and it ends with self-control. You go back and you look at Galatians 5, it's dealing with a lot of sexual issues. The self-control that it's talking about is not going to the cheesecake factory and eating too much, even though we do need that self-control, right? It is specifically talking about self-control with the sexual desires and living in a culture that promotes sexual desires. And our hope is found in the Holy Spirit. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, not my message today, the Holy Spirit is what convicts, the Holy Spirit is what comforts, the Holy Spirit is what changes us and challenges us to be more like Christ 
each and every day. So is there hope? Better believe it. And our hope is in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. And he said, if we trust in him, we are seated in the heavenly realms. We already are seated victorious. And there is victory over every sin that wants to control us. Every temptation that wants to control us. The victory is ours in Christ Jesus.